And so, my fellow Americans, ask not what your country can do for you, ask what you can do for your country. In the councils of government, we must guard against the acquisition of unwarranted influence, whether sought or unsought, by the military-industrial complex. That we can, and so help us God, we will make America great again. What's up, guys? Welcome to another episode of the No Gimmicks Podcast. I'm your humble host, as always, Brady Leonard. Hopefully you guys are having a fantastic week. Uh, great show today. I was joined by my friend David Rutz from the Washington Free Beacon. It's always a great time talking to David. Uh, we talked about uh, the wildly important Georgia Senate runoffs on, on, on January 5th. Um, we discussed the role that Right of Center Media will play in the next four years. Uh, yeah, we covered a lot. Covered a lot of ground. I think you guys will enjoy it. Uh, before I get to David, guys, please follow us on Twitter at No Gimmicks Pod. Please subscribe on iTunes, SoundCloud, Google Play, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you're on iTunes, please give us a five-star rating and a good review. I would really appreciate that. All right. Without further ado, the great David Rutz. All right, guys, we're here with my brother, David Rutz. David, how you doing, man? Great, Brady. How you doing, man? I'm doing great. All things considered, I'm doing well. Uh, a few reasons why I wanted to have you on the show today, David. First of all, um, I want to uh, talk up your employer uh, here <laughs> in a little bit, um, and so that'll be fun. And then uh, I, I want to talk quite a bit about the Georgia runoff elections. You're from Georgia. You've been all over that. So we, we definitely need to touch on that. Um, but first of all, I, I, I just sent this to you on Twitter. Uh, I, I just read from the official NFL Twitter account that through the first eight games of the NFL season, Matt Ryan is leading the league in passing. So, I mean, what, what is the, the Falcons' record again? I, I, how is this possible, man? Matt Ryan is on pace to throw for 5,500 yards. So, it's uh, mind-boggling. Well, you know, Drew Brees had a bunch of 5,000-yard seasons for those garbage Saints teams in the mid-2010s. So, it's not it's not always a good sign. That usually shows you've been trailing a lot and have to throw a ton. And um, you know, also, your run game isn't going that well. That being said, Ryan's actually had a pretty good season. It's not like it's 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 not completely about been trailing. In fact, the Falcons could be 6-3 and three right now if they hadn't. Uh, messed up three wins that they had in the bag in the fourth quarter. So it's a mix of not running the ball particularly effectively and uh, generally being in games where they've, they've had to throw in sometimes when they're, when they're trailing and, you know, he's got Ridley, he's got Julio Jones, he's got some big receivers. So I'm not going to, I'm not going to knock him, but it's not always the best sign if you're leading the league in passing. I'd rather lead the league in rushing if I could be quite honest. Definitely. I don't know if you saw this. <laughs> I think it was after the game on Sunday, uh, a reporter asked Todd Gurley, uh, I forget what the question, how the question was worded. It was like, uh, what are the similarities between Matt Ryan and and Jared Goff? And he was like, well, they're both rich as hell. Both... <laughs> well, I mean, fact check, true from uh, from Todd Gurley. <laughs> they're both very wealthy, and they both lost in the Super Bowl to Tom Brady. That's what they have in common. Oof! I'm sure you enjoyed watching the uh, the meltdown of Tom Brady. Uh, the other, uh, yeah, that I was... mean, the Saints, the Saints won, so it was it was kind of a fifty fifty for me. Yeah, I mean, beggars can't be choosers, so yeah. 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 <laughs> So look, man, like the majority of content on this show, as the audience knows, is me bashing the press. I mean, it's fun. You know, we, we all enjoy it. It's necessary. But, you know, destroying the, the legacy media, the corporate press, is, in my opinion, the battle going forward. Um, as a conservative, I, I really don't think our fight is, is necessarily against the Democrats. It really is against the press. And if we're going to have a functioning republic going forward, in my estimation, we need outlets like your employers, the Washington Washington Free Beacon to replace, you know, people like like the Washington Post. Like it's not enough to have conservative podcasts and, and in op eds 
Uh, you know, there's great podcasters, op-ed writers on the right all over the place. But, I mean, we need right-of-center journalists, you know, li- like the Free Beacon, like the Daily Caller, uh, which are they're doing great reporting to. You know, the Daily Wire is moving past just op-ed work and is hiring journalists. The Blaze is hiring more journalists. Uh, I, I, this is the next step. Um, it needs to be the next step, and it's more important now than ever. Uh, no, I, I couldn't agree more. Uh, it's uh, it's obviously filled a, a huge niche in the past, especially in the past ten years. And uh, we saw, especially in the Trump era, you know, all these uh, a lot of these legacy outlets like the Times and the Post, you know, who were so shell shocked by the results in 2016, and they swore they were going to do better and try to figure out, you know, where Trump country was and you know why they missed that. And all I've seen in the last four years is, you know, quite frankly, just a <laughs> Uh, re- recycling of their their old biases and uh, just the kind of insular world of DC and New York media. You know, they all talk to each other, they all hang out with each other, they all compliment each other, they're all friends with each other. And uh, what you get are you know lots of honors and praise for lots of stories like you know Russia collusion and all that stuff that you know went nowhere. Uh, whereas you have and and meanwhile you have an entire side of the spectrum, the Democratic Party, which often is not really checked, and so conservative media has filled that that hole. Uh, that being said, um, you know, it's still important to have real, you know, it's got to be reporting. It's got to be legitimately fact. It can't just be a bunch of conservative op-eds and opinion pieces. You need to report real news and break stories. And that's what sites like the Free Beacon have done really effectively. And uh, if they continue to do that, then we'll, they'll continue to be successful. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, for people who don't understand, you know, the difference between, like, you know, the, the opinion side and the news side. I mean, we, we've always relied on the right, like, you know. We've always had good content, opinion content, but we've always relied on the reporting of mainstream outlets because places like The Post and The Times and, and CNN and these these outlets, they have the budget to put people in every country on the planet, right, on the ground to, to report the news. And, you know, a lot of these, these people on the right uh, don't. And that's changing, obviously, thank God, um, because we just can't rely on the corporate press to give us accurate information anymore. I, I have a feeling, and you, I don't know if you agree or disagree, but I think the press is going to get worse. I, I don't think they're going to return to the Sandra Bullock from Bird Box reporting of the Obama, Obama <laughs> years where they just don't report on anything. I don't think that's going to happen. I think they, they've they taken off the mask to the point where they're going to go straight up Chinese Communist Party-style state-run media to defend Joe Biden. I, I really do. I, I don't even know how they can go back to... The, the style of reporting under the Obama years. I think they've progressed past that point. And I think it's going to look a lot like RT or like CCP run state media. I, I really do believe that. Like organizations like the Beacon, like, like the Daily Caller, they're going to be the reporting on the ground from companies like you guys are going to become more important. Like, I, I don't know if the corporate press will report on things happening in the Middle East if they look bad on a President Joe Biden. I, I, re- I really, truly doubt that they would report on on military failures in the Middle East, for for example. Like, I, I don't know. Maybe maybe you're saying, Brady, you're going too far. I know you've said that to me on the podcast before. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I really do believe that uh, this is more important now than ever. Uh, I can't speak to the, the future, but yes, if past is if past is prologue, then yes, we're getting ready for another return to a nap. Uh, we call it the eight-year nap when uh, Obama was president. And then they woke up, and the, my favorite example of this is when the Washington Post changed their motto. They didn't even have one: "Dude, democracy <laughs> dies in darkness." As soon as uh, Donald Trump was president, and I was yeah. like, guys, like at a certain point, like you kind of tip your hand, and in this case, you're just kind of showing us your cards. Like it's obvious that you 
all of a sudden see this great threat and now it's like in the, you know, the, the New York Times, no, the truth matters now. And I'm like, it didn't before? I'm, I'm confused. <laughs> um, so I say all that to, you know, I don't want to agree with you in the sense like I really hope that isn't the case. But uh, I, I think the problem, Brady, that I'm noticing, and I saw this, you might have read a, a New York Magazine had a pretty good um, uh, piece on the New York Times and the, the constant drama there with their employees. The New York Times, by the way, is doing extremely well financially. They have record subscriptions because of the Donald Trump era. And there is unfortunately um, a need, or not a need, but there's an inclination once you get these subscribers to kind of play to your readers, to kind of tell them what they want to hear. And you know, you're constantly seeing on Twitter, I'm sure you've seen this a million times, these people who are dramatically like, I'm canceling my subscription because you know Tom Cotton had an op-ed or you know, <laughs> so Brett Stevens wrote an article that was somewhat right of Lenin and that really offended me. And, um, you know, you see this all the time and, you know, they have shareholders and they have things they have to respond to. And that's just one example. But I'm afraid that there's become this greater trend toward rather than just straight up news telling and, you know, news reporting to playing to your audience. The New York Times is a very culturally elite liberal audience. They tend to play to that. You see that sometimes in conservative sites, of course. And uh, the more you do that, the more that, you know, straight up factual news is going to kind of get lost. So, I feel what you have now is people just sort of have a mixed news diet and they try to just kind of garner the truth from what they find in the middle. Or some people do that. Other people, they just retreat to their corners and that just makes us more polarized than we actually are. I think this election result, so we're, we're actually not as far apart politically as I think we are. People kind of tend to think we are as a country. Uh, but our media is reflective of the, the fringes and how they, um, they, they want their media to tell them what they want to hear. Yeah, absolutely. It's funny you mentioned the uh, the 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 motto change of the Washington Post. I believe that was even before Trump was inaugurated. Okay. I don't can't remember, but it was because yeah. Trump became president. There was right. no question about that. Right. I, if I remember correctly, I, I could be wrong, but I, I think it was actually it was after the election and before inauguration. So he, you know he hadn't even done anything yet. He was just a guy at that, at that point. Uh, it's pretty funny, but like it, you know, looking at this election, looking at the last. Uh, you know, couple years, especially in the last four years, but last couple years, especially, um, it is disturbing how powerful the the mainstream media, the corporate press, still is. And I think we all kind of we on the right underestimated that after Trump won in 2016. We're like, oh well, you know, maybe we've broken the back of of the press. Maybe they they don't wield as much influence as they once did. I mean, you know, Orange Man got elected. But uh, no, I, I they are still extraordinarily powerful, and they need to be knocked down a few pegs if we're going to have a functioning republic going forward. I mean, the pet the press created a panic, right? They created chaos for four years, <laughs> and then held the country hostage and said the chaos will never end unless you elect Democrats. I mean, and in my estimation, I could be wrong. I mean, I could be wrong, but I mean to quote to quote the great uh, Don Henley, I could be wrong, but I'm not. <laughs> I, I really think this is why Biden won, or you know, I guess legally technically speaking likely one at, at this point but i mean the press orchestrated the whole thing you know the lies the, the the russian collusion impeachment you know all of this and then down to the the riots the violence on the streets and the american people they gave in to the blackmail uh for all intents and purposes so um i i think our main fight as, as conservatives libertarians whatever in the next four years 10 years 20 years i think the main battle ahead of us uh, on the right is to destroy the corporate press we, we need these these people cannot continue to wield the kind of power that they've proven over the last year that they still wield i mean it's really simple uh if the media wants I, i've said this for years that the lack of trust in mainstream and liberal news outlets is 
is is is dangerous for national security. And I, people sometimes look at me sideways when I say that. And I'm like, I'm not, you know, I'm, people who know me in regular life, not that you, uh, you know, no, I'm not really prone to histrionics. But I'm like, the reason it is, is because when you distrust what are supposed to be just straight up sources of news information, then you start to get things like people maybe denying that like COVID is happening, which it is, or other things that are incredibly serious, but they've been told so many uh, lies or been misled so many times and always in the same direction. The mistakes are always in the same way that it, it naturally, and I don't, I don't have a, I don't, I don't blame anyone for, for having a distrust. Naturally people begin to distrust the sources of information. And uh, the, the worst thing I think that happened this year was when you saw um, a lot of these liberal news outlets all of a sudden decide that uh, it was totally fine to socially gather if you were protesting racial injustice. Uh, are we in a pandemic or not? You know, George Floyd dies and all of a sudden the pandemic doesn't exist for two weeks. It's, it's ridiculous. And, uh, and then they want to go back, back, go right back and tell everyone to lock themselves in their homes or you can't see grandma or you can't have your bar mitzvah in New York City or de Blasio is going to come with the stormtroopers. Um, so of course people start to, to distrust these things. So if they want to gain back trust, they just, they've got to tell the truth and put their agendas aside. I don't believe there's any, there's any kind of conspiracy. I just think there's just a lot of like-minded people and they just tend to the left and that's just kind of how they, they view the world. And, and yet they always react with great, uh, they're always agog when people, uh, consistently show that they don't, they don't trust them. So, uh, yeah, it's, it's up to outlets and to porn for conservative outlets and whatnot to, to check them and that kind of stuff too. But it's also on them to you know, to tell their readers the truth also, even when that's sometimes difficult to, to hear. I think we're seeing like right now with these election results. Absolutely. So um, let, let's move on to the, the Georgia Senate races that we're not afraid Oh, yeah. On. Georgia. Let's do it. Georgia. Yeah, sorry that's about right. that. Anyway. That <laughs> uh, I knew it. You know, January 5th really is for all the marbles. So, uh, you know, finally, Alaska and North Carolina have been called. Um, the GOP has uh, 50 Senate seats officially. It all comes down to Georgia. Um, to, to be fair, Joe Manchin, Democrat from West Virginia, did say that he will not vote to and uh, the filibuster or pack, pack the Supreme Court. So, hey, look, technically, even if we lose these two seats, you know, the republic survives an, another day. Um, but a 50-50 tie in the Senate with Kamala Harris as a tiebreaker is horrifying on policy. And, and even a guy like Joe Manchin, I mean, he, he voted against Brett Kavanaugh and Amy Coney Barrett. He voted for impeachment. He uh, did vote for he voted for Brett Kavanaugh. He did. I, I knew he, he, did, he, did vote, he did vote for Kavanaugh. Yes. He only did it after he knew he wouldn't be the deciding vote. But in oh, that's fairness, right. That's he did right, vote right. For right. 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 OK. And he didn't vote for Barrett. But uh, and he wasn't in the Senate when uh, Obamacare went for the Obamacare vote. But he almost certainly would have voted for that. He, he's not as on policy. He's not as moderate as he sounds. <laughs> you know? I agree. But um, so, look, you know, Harris as a tiebreaker in the Senate is, is horrifying. We really need these these two seats. Let, let's break down both races, starting with Senator David Perdue against the very annoying um, John Ossoff, who was, I just want to remind the audience, was famously trolled on Twitter into proposing um, to his girlfriend of 12 years. So that that guy. <laughs> anyway, Perdue looks like he should win. Um, this one, uh, he, he's up, I, I believe he was just below the 50% threshold, but I think he's up four points um, last time I checked over Ossoff. This seat seems safe-ish. I don't know. How are you feeling about it? Uh, I think it's a seat that the Republicans absolutely should win. They should win both of these races. I say should because uh, I think that right now they're, they're not everyone's eyes on the ball uh, in, the, in the party, and that comes from the, the White House. Uh, but breaking down that race, I've been following it very closely and covering it. Um, Purdue did defeat John Ossoff in the popular vote, the all-important popular vote, by about 85,000 votes, I believe, by the last count. 
And that's significant because, of course, Joe Biden is almost surely going to win Georgia. Uh, it hasn't been decided yet, and there's going to be a hand recount. That was just announced this morning. But Joe Biden's margin is about 14 or 15,000 votes, and there's just no way it's going to be reversed. So Biden will win Georgia. So the fact that John Ossoff ran so far behind Biden has is, is got to be concerning for him because even with you know the, the carryover of Biden and the enthusiasm he might have provided at the top of the ticket, a lot of people, and I suspect a lot of folks in the suburbs, the kind of formerly Republican, and I've seen this transformation where I live, uh, to the Democratic on the presidential side, I think a lot of people split their ticket or they simply just didn't vote for Ossoff because they liked the idea of Biden being checked by a Republican Senate. So the fact that Ossoff couldn't even top Purdue in the popular vote, uh, even while Biden's winning the state, has got to be a concern uh, for his campaign. I mean, Ossoff's never held office. He's only 33 years old. He doesn't really have much of a story in his campaign to tell beyond his fights. And he fights public corruption. That's kind of his main message. And he, he's gotten a lot of praise from you know the national press for assailing Purdue as corrupt, even though Purdue was cleared of any insider trading by three different agencies. Uh, he just he doesn't really quite have much of a story to tell, as I think Raphael Warnock does. It's simply going to be a party turnout election, and if it comes down to that, then Purdue is the I would Purdue is the favorite in the in the meantime. Uh, Purdue beat him by about two points, and I think the latest poll showed Purdue up four. Uh, and the polling in Georgia actually wasn't bad compared to some of the other states. Right. Um, but um, anyway, you know P Purdue and Leffler can just hammer home the message for the next two months that we're the we're the bulwark between. We're the we're the we're the blockade between you know a Republican Senate or a Democratic Senate for a President Biden. That's a pretty compelling message, I think, to a lot of people. Yeah, definitely. And, and Ossoff, yeah, he's he's the definition of an empty suit. I mean, he's he's like a Pete Buttigieg type guy, you know, uh, just generic young Democrat white guy. <laughs> yeah, he kind of says whatever he thinks the audience wants to hear at the time. I think Georgia voters will be able to see through his nonsense. The Kelly Loeffler versus uh, Raphael Warnock uh, race seems a little dicier. That's the one I'm worried about. Um, the vote was split several ways in the general. So I haven't, you know, we haven't seen too much head-to-head -head polling. I, 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 There was one poll that came out this morning that, that showed that uh, Loeffler was ahead by one point, uh, 49-48. Um, but I, I, I don't know. that. Leffler is not as popular statewide in Georgia as as Purdue is. Um, how, how are you feeling about this one? Uh, that's a, I mean, I just I can't imagine this splitting. Like I couldn't imagine Purdue winning and right. Warnock winning or vice versa. Like if, if the Democrats do pull up this upset uh, and I mean, Biden just won the state, so it's not completely out of the question. Uh, then they're going to I think they would win both. Because I don't, I can't imagine folks are going to go and vote for one and, and not the other. If they're if they're going to the trouble of voting in a runoff, which you know tends to have obviously lower turnout than your general elections and uh, Republicans have won the last two Senate runoffs in the state over the past 30 years. Um, then, uh, then I think you'll see one vote. For, you'll see people just vote for both parties. Uh, Leffler, the good news for her is that uh, Doug Collins, who she she went to war with during the campaign, she yeah. and Doug Collins completely ignored Warnock essentially. And just went to war with each other, and we just were just over. We were just overrun with ads, mostly from Leffler, who's extremely wealthy, uh, assailing Collins as like a creature of the establishment and all this kind of stuff. And Collins came back at her as you know, just sort of like uh, I, I can't exactly remember what the attacks were. But as soon as the race was called on Tuesday, last Tuesday, Collins endorsed her, and their combined vote count outpaced Warnock considerably. And uh, you, I think the Republicans are fairly united behind her in the sense, again, that it's not just like, oh, her versus Warnock. It's 
Republican Senate versus Democratic Senate, and I think a lot of people find that a pretty uh, a find again find that a convincing uh, reason to vote for for her. Uh, again, though, Leffler and Purdue have made this news for accusing the Georgia Republican Secretary of State, who was endorsed by President Trump, of you know mishandling the election and saying that the the state has um, you know has been run faultily with this year's election and. You know, that's that's some party disunity, obviously, in a time when if they were united, if they were united, they would win this thing in a walk. So they're going to need to come together. There's a lot of time between now and January 5th. But uh, there, there is that uh, asterisk right now in terms of, um, again, the party disunity that they're they're showing within the state. Yeah, absolutely. And with, with Warnock, too, this, this guy is a, a hard left Democrat. Yes, he is I mean, very, very, very liberal. He's a far left, you know, socialist type. Um, he's praised Fidel Castro. Um, he's made anti-Semitic comments. Um, I mean, this guy's too far left for California, let, let alone Georgia. I mean, at least like John Ossoff can, you know, can pretend to be a little bit moderate, I guess, when he wants to. Um, I mean, this guy's a hard lefty. Um, I, I just, I don't know, man. The, the Republicans cannot fumble the ball here. And and look, like, I'm not. I haven't really talked too much about all these lawsuits going on, all the accusations of voter fraud. Trump has every right uh, to file these lawsuits. Uh, we're going to let the the system play out. Um, that you know, there's some you know credible evidence of voter fraud, specifically in in Michigan and Pennsylvania. Uh, not so much in Georgia. I don't really know what's going on there. But um, the American people deserve to know how much voter fraud. I, I highly doubt it's enough to change the outcome in any of these states. But it isn't. It isn't. <laughs> <laughs> I could be wrong, but I'm not. <laughs> um, I, I just we, we cannot take our eye on off the ball here, man. We need to focus on Georgia. The thing is, the money from Hollywood is going to come in. I mean, Purdue and Leffler are going to be outspent. I know Leffler has more money than God, but st- still, they're they're both going to be outspent two to one. The out of state money is going to be pouring in on the left. Conservatives go to, fi- find Purdue and Leffler's websites, donate however much you can. If you're in Georgia, if you're in the surrounding areas, go donate your time. Go knock doors, go phone bank. I, I, it, it, it drives me crazy that nobody's talking about this. I mean, we're so focused on the presidential election. This one is for all the marbles, ladies and gentlemen. I mean, the, the, this is going to be the most expensive Senate races ever in history by an order of magnitude, more than likely. I mean, I don't know how much money these the Democrats are going to be able to raise. I, I don't know. Uh, I would expect the combined voting between the parties to be in the hundreds of millions in the next in the next two months. That might sound crazy, but I I I would expect nothing less. I mean, I I yeah, I agree. There'll be a lot of outside liberal money, but there'll be a lot of outside conservative money too. I mean, you think Mitch McConnell is going to leave any stone unturned to to try and win these races? I mean, Senate Leadership Fund is going to pour money into this. Uh, like you said, like Leffler again is very personally wealthy, and I think it's important for people to note that something I noted while I was covering the race down in Georgia was. Since it was so clear for months that it was going to be probably Warnock and either Leffler or Collins uh, against him in the runoff, I think the Republicans kind of held fire on some of their most potent attacks on Warnock because they knew it was going to a runoff anyway. So why empty your chamber before the actual battle? So I think you're starting to see a lot of oppo research come out on Warnock, who has a history of, again, very... Very extreme comments. He's pray. The Free Beacon has a story about how he had praise for the Reverend Jeremiah Wright, who previously said "God damn America," um, and obviously got Barack Obama into a bit of a bit of trouble back in his 2008 campaign. Uh, I've reported on Warnock inviting a um, 
a preacher from Texas who supports defunding police. Warnock has uh, used very sharp language against police. Warnock has dodged on whether he would pack the Supreme Court. He won't. He still won't answer that question. So there's a lot of stuff that Georgia voters, quite frankly, don't know about Warnock, and they're going to be inundated with the next couple of months. So assuming Georgia Republicans do get united and uh, aren't get don't get too caught up in what is probably going to be a fruitless attempt to you know undo Joe Biden's apparent victory, then I think they should probably be fine. From your mouth to God's ears, David. <laughs> I, I don't know. That's just my call. Again, I, again, there's a lot of there's there, there, Stacey Abrams is going to do a lot of work to, to get people up for this election, but it's just a fact. Runoff, runoff, runoff turnout is just always decreased. It's going to be right after the Christmas vacation. People are just kind of politics out down here, so it'll be difficult to to muster that same level of enthusiasm that maybe first-time voters in Atlanta, particularly African American voters, might have had. Uh, for President Biden or pre to vote for Joe Biden for president uh, that they would for a couple of Senate races. Uh, we'll see. I mean, you know, that's the past. That's what history has showed us. We'll see if that happens this time. But um, that would certainly go with the past history that the Republicans are the favorites for the time. Definitely. Outside of maybe the Kardashians, has anybody done less to become famous than Stacey Abrams? Uh, I think it's interesting that Stacey Abrams <laughs> has not never conceded her loss doubted election results said she got cheated said it was stolen from her said quote i won the election she said all that and uh there weren't any there wasn't much teeth gnashing by the national press about our democracy being undone or dying uh, in darkness if you will dying in darkness yes she got <laughs> magazine covers and now she's being lauded i mean you know again if you want to do credible work to turn out voters and you have a victory then good for you but a Republican pulling the same thing after losing a governor's race, something tells me she would that person wouldn't get the cover of, you know, a Rolling Stone or Vanity Fair. That's just my theory. Yeah, I, I I'm gonna go ahead and agree with you there, David. <laughs> what, I don't what, know if Abram, I know I don't know if Abram's got on those magazines, but it is no question she has gotten many very favorable profiles uh for someone who has never served above uh state, House state minority right. leader in the yeah. state legislature. Yeah, absolutely. One one last thing before I let you go. I man, Chuck Schumer really sucks at this. Like I don't know why. He's been the uh, the leader of of the the Democratic caucus in the Senate for this long. He's really bad at politics. His whole comment, you know, hanging out partying maskless in New in New York City, saying, uh, you know, we're going to take Georgia, then we're going to change the country. Yeah. Yikes. I mean, that's going to be in every Republican attack ad. Uh, but one, uh, yeah, it's Mitch McConnell drooled as soon as uh, Schumer said that. I don't know what he was thinking. Maybe he didn't realize that camera was in his face. or maybe I don't know. He did. But it was a very foolish thing to say, because I'll just say this. Nationalizing the Georgia race is the number one way to ensure Republicans win both those contests. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Obviously, you live I in guess, Georgia. I, I mean, Democrats might have no choice but to. I mean, there's no way not to nationalize it. Uh, and... Um, and, it, you know, of course, again, it's about turning out your your party's respective bases. There's just, a, I, they, I believe, a larger Republican base in the state, regardless of uh, Biden winning the state uh, this time or not. There's just a lot of folks who, Republican voters maybe, who dislike Donald Trump personally and didn't want him in office anymore, but do not want to vote for Democrats down the ticket. Yeah, absolutely. And you live in Georgia. I've spent a lot of time in Georgia. I, I don't think you know, Georgia voters don't strike me as the burn it all down, let's change the country kind of, kind of voters. No, but, you know, the Democrats are in a pickle, though. I mean, I don't know how they raise all that money from Hollywood if they don't nationalize the this race. I mean, they, they, they're kind of forced to, like you said. I, I think it's the only way they could fundraise off of it. But, you know, I, I do think you're right that ultimately it'll be a 
cataclysmic mistake. These contests are going to come down to state agriculture policy and, uh, you know, whether or not we're going to have, you know, military. No, it's going to be about do you want a Democratic Senate or do you want a Republican Senate? It's that's 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 the issue. Absolutely. David, thanks so much for doing this, man. Let's do it again soon. Where can everybody follow you, read your stuff and check out the free beacon? Uh, you can find me at, at David Rutz, D-A-V-I-D-R-U-T-Z, and I'll be at the Free Beacon um, not too much longer, uh, but I'll be there for another couple of weeks, and um, I'll just tell you now um, that uh, I'll be joining Fox News as a digital senior editor, actually, at the end of the month, so I am making that transition. I've already informed the Free Beacon, so I'm not breaking that news here. Um, so not too much longer, but I'll still be at the same Twitter handle. Oh, great. Well, congratulations, man. That's awesome. Thank you very much. I appreciate it. Everybody follow David. He's great. That's all I got for today. I'm Brady Leonard. I'll be back on Monday. No gimmicks.